I was I ministered on this a couple Wednesday nights ago, but uh, just have a few thoughts that I want to share with you tonight. Uh, and, and a couple Wednesdays, I think it was it was either two or three Wednesday nights ago. I can't remember now. I think it was actually three. Uh, I was I shared with you about being a person of prayer, and we were talking about Daniel. And looking at the life of Daniel, and I want to pick up uh, kind of along that same line, but I want to look at uh, really the life of Jesus and some things um, that we see and really uh, more of why do we pray, more kind of nuts and bolts back story of it, if you will. And so uh, I'd even shared some of these things on Sunday morning a little bit about uh, seeking the Lord and why do we seek and, you know, some of those types of things. So I just want to uh, mention a couple of things that I shared on Sunday and then also on the previous Wednesday as well. And then we'll get into tonight's, uh, you know, I share with you this thought is that uh, the difference between just a person who randomly occasionally prays and really being a person of prayer, because I believe God's best is that we're people of prayer, uh, because that speaks to our uh, really... Um, our, our habits and our course of normal life. But the difference between a person who prays and a person of prayer is the priority of it. You know, is, that, is, is prayer the, the, the last resort or is it the first response? You know, and then there's a big difference in that. Uh, you know, because sometimes what can happen, and it happens with all of us, is that when we've exhausted everything else, and it's like, well, I guess I should pray. Well, that shouldn't be the last resort. That should be the first response. You know, and, and that should be our default. That should be the first thing we look to. Any time that we get up uh, against a moment that we're challenged by, uh, that ought to be our first response. Why? Because that's where our help comes from. And when we stay focused on that uh, and it becomes the priority of prayer, it will and we will see uh, a tremendous difference in our life. I believe that, that God will work things out when we would make prayer first, that God will even begin to work on the problem before we even have even had time to really process what's going on. God will already be working on our behalf. And so uh, I, I share with you on Sunday this quote and I, I shared about how uh, Dara was watching something on her laptop one day and I just heard the statement. And I had to go back and find out what she was listening to so that I could hear it again. And um, it was this, is that uh, a day without prayer is a boast against, uh, is a boast against God. And, and so, you know, every day that we're to be in communion and fellowship with the Father. Why? Because He's the source of our life. He's where we get our strength. He's where our help uh, ultimately comes from. But yet we can go day and sometimes days and even weeks maybe without even acknowledging our Savior, without even acknowledging that, God, you're the Lord of my life. And that Lord means owner. It means, hey, you're the one in control. And if, you know, I'm the one in, if I'm the one in control and he's not, well, you know, I mean, it, think of it this way. You know, like I had the, a dealership call me today about my truck because there's some things, that, you know, I took it in and get an oil change. They're like, hey, you need this, this, and this done, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, but they didn't just do it and then come to me and say, well, you know, I took control because we had your truck. And so we just ran you up a bill. No, they called me and I said, well, I don't want to do that right now. I want to know what it's going to actually cost first. Why? Because I own the truck, you know, and, and similarly, that's how our lives ought to be is that we ought to not look at our life as, hey, that I get to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Is that, hey, the Bible is very clear that, hey, we've been bought with a price that we're no longer our own. But yet now we belong to the Lord. And so any time that we go about making decisions and choices, especially large decisions in life. You know, I heard somebody say it one time like this, is that never make major decisions from a low point of spirituality. In other words, make sure that you don't make like life altering decisions when your spiritual level is low. Why? Because you're going to make a bad decision. Like, not always, but your way, but what happens if your spiritual, you know, in a sense, your spiritual tank is full, right? And well, how do you get your spiritual tank full? It's fellowshipping with the Lord. It's spending time in the Word. It's through prayer. It's through worship. It's building it through that, uh, that relationship with the Lord. John 15 talks about this. He's the vine, we're the branch, but apart from Him, we can do nothing. You know, and so really what happens is that anytime that we start making decisions without really seeking the Lord about them, that's really rooted in pride. That God, I will find my own way. I'll figure this out. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your help. And I was sharing about this and uh, about that on Sunday and, uh, you know, and just kind of talking through this and talking about it and sharing with you uh, really some of the things that the Lord had been stirring in my heart about this year and just about being making prayer more of a priority in our life, not just as a church, although I believe that's part of it, but also in our day-to-day life, uh, you know, when we're at work, when we're at home, when we're on vacation, when we're just getting phone calls and life's just coming, that we ought to respond through prayer, you know, and part of it, and we, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but over in Hebrews chapter 11, um, you know, the Bible talks about that the Lord is the rewarder of those who will diligently seek after him. 
You know, well, part of that is through prayer. Uh, It's not just limited to, you know, reading the Bible. It's not just limited to our personal quiet time with the Lord. It's not just in our uh, coming to church life, but there's more to it than even that, is that, man, there ought to just be a pursuit of God in our heart. And the Bible says that there are rewards and blessings that will come when we make that a priority. And so... Tonight, I want to look at an example here, uh, similarly to the way we did with Daniel. But, I mean, Jesus is, uh, you know, the ultimate example that we can see throughout Scripture. And yet, many times we see uh, throughout his life where Jesus would get away to pray. And, And why did he have to get away to pray? Because his spiritual tanks were getting low. Why? Because he was constantly giving out. You can't constantly give out and not, you know... Fill back up. I mean, eventually, if you jumped in your car and started driving, eventually the car's going to run out of gas. And it's your fault. Why? It's not the car's fault. You stupid. You know, I mean, would you jump out and kick the car and be like, this is the dumbest car ever? I mean, more than likely, the car told you it was low on gas. You know, and I believe your spirit man will tell you the same way. It will say, hey, danger low. Hey, you're, you're running low. You need to feel back up. And we need to pay attention to those things. And, I, you know, and so I want to look at some things. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture here. And, and I, you know, I think if there's a lots of verses, that I, or several anyways, that I believe that um, really paint Jesus... Uh, in more of a real way than probably what our minds can necessarily conceive. Because I think, you know, at least in my mind, sometimes it's like, well, he was Jesus and I'm not. And that Jesus didn't have problems, Jesus didn't face things, Jesus didn't go through things. So, of course, Jesus prayed because he just had a lifeline to, you know, to heaven. And, you know, I mean, Jesus goes and gets baptized and God talks from heaven and, you know, dove are descending upon him and the Holy Spirit. And I don't experience anything like that. And he's Jesus and I'm just not. And so Jesus just said, Father, and he's like, and, and God's like, hello, son. Like, it, it wasn't really like that. Although in our minds, we probably think that it was. That there was like this different kind of connection that Jesus had. And really, he was just the forerunner. He was the one who was to show us what was to come. So I want to look at a, um, a moment in Jesus' life. And uh, we're going to look at it actually from three different of the Gospels tonight. Uh, just snippets of it because it gives you a full picture of what's actually uh, transpired. That's the beauty of the Gospels. You get four different perspectives uh, of many stories, not all. Um, and, uh, but here in Mark chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 32. And it says that uh, Jesus and the disciples went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. So Jesus came to the garden for one reason, to pray, right? I mean, that's what he says. Y'all sit here and I'm going to go pray. He took uh, Peter, James, and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. Now think about this. Jesus has a problem. I mean, other places say that, um, and it actually gives you the understanding that he actually began to break down and weep. I mean, I think about like when he got the news about John the Baptist, or I'm not sorry, about Lazarus, not John the Baptist, about Lazarus dying. It says that he wept bitterly. Why? Because he truly loved Lazarus. He, I mean, he felt the sting of loss. And even here it says that he was, and you could say it, and it's not adding to it, it's really just uh, explaining uh, what's happening. It says that he was deeply troubled and Jesus is overwhelmed in this moment. Now, I know we don't like to think of Jesus this way, but Jesus is overcome with emotion. I mean, have you ever had one of those moments, like where you just, your emotions just overtook you? I mean, I, 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 you know, there's been a few, and you know, and now typically, in the normal, it's going to be, we're going to default to the side of anger and we just fly off the handle. But have you ever been like so sad that it just, you just bawled. <laughs> I mean, just overcome just with grief. And it's like, I can't think straight. I mean, you know, you cry so hard you can't think. You know, I mean, kind of like that moment. That's kind of what's going on here in this moment for Jesus. Now, I know it's Jesus and we're not supposed to talk about him like this. But it's what the Bible says. It says that he, he became deeply troubled and distressed. And then he adds even more description in verse 34. Jesus tells the three, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. 
He says, stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus' internal um, thermostat, if you will, is telling him, spiritually, you're in a deficient place. Why? Because he knows what's coming and he knows what it's going to require and he knows he's not ready for what's to come. And he says here that his soul is, is weighed down, that it's crushed with grief. And he says, stay here and keep watch with me. Now, many times throughout Scripture, we see a parallel where the word, where it talks about keeping watch is parallel to pray. Like it talks about even in the Old Testament where uh, men would stay up and keep watch. And it was actually referring to them not sitting in a watchtower. Now, that, there are elements and places where that is true. But keeping watch also meant to pray. To pray, to seek the Lord during that time. And he's telling the, the disciples here, he says, you guys stay here and keep watch with me. In verse 35, it says that he went a little further and fell to the ground. And then he prayed that if it were possible, uh, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. So if there be any other way. Verse 36, he says, Abba, Father. Now, I do think this is it. Let me stop here and just say this real quick. And Jesus, in his moment of grief, did not just go and get around a bunch of people to hug him and tell him everything was going to be all right. He got away from people. Now, I'm not saying that isolation is necessarily good in and of itself. But when you get isolated to get with the Father, it's the best place to be. I mean, we talked about this uh, Sunday morning when, it, when Jesus gave instructions about to pray. He says, go, go to a solitary place where it's just you and the Father, to a secret place where it's just you and Him. And even Jesus is at this point and He's just said, man, I am so weighed down, overcome with emotion, if you will. And it says, but He went to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, and I can only speak for me, there are times that I have been weighed down where the last thing I wanted to do was pray. What I wanted to do was to go find somebody who would say, it's okay, you're going to be all right, things are looking, you know, don't worry about it, you're going to make it, that's what I wanted. I wanted somebody to comfort me and to make me feel good. Whatever that could do. You know, I mean, it's like when you're not feeling well, and all. And it doesn't matter how old you are, you revert back and think, I want my mom to make this, because that always made me feel better. Like, I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't think it ever changes. You just, that's, that's what made you feel better and that's what you want. You know, and, and, you know, but there are some things that even for us, that if we'll understand even the discipline of prayer, because sometimes that's what prayer is. I don't feel like praying, but I need to pray. And, and there's many times that that's true in our lives. But if we will, and Jesus even addresses it here in a few minutes with the disciples, but he understood for him to find the strength that was necessary for him, he could only find it one place. There wasn't enough rest. There wasn't enough sleep. There wasn't enough time in the bed, time on the couch, enough time eating whatever, enough time being with people that was going to help him in this moment. There was only one place for him to go. And that place was to go connect with the Father. And it says in verse 35 that Jesus went a little further, fell to the ground, that he prayed that if it be possible, that the awful hour awaiting him might uh, pass him by. But he says, Father, he cried, that everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now, I believe that this is a pattern for us. How do you know when you've prayed enough? When it's more important about what God's doing in your life than what you want. Because it's easy to run in and say, this is what I want, Lord, fix it. Thank you very much, and I'm out. But something should actually happen in the place of prayer where we actually get along with God to the point where it's no longer about what I want, but I'm saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's no longer about my will. It's no longer about my comfort. It's no longer about what I'm seeking. What I'm after is what you're doing in my life. And that's what I need to know. And even in this moment, Jesus prays this prayer and says, if there's any other way... But if not, it's not about me anyways. I'll do what you want me to do. Verse 37. It says that Jesus returns and found the disciples asleep. He took his inner core. Those people who were like, I mean, this is his crew. 
And he comes back and they're all just passed out of sleep. Now, what did he tell them before? His instructions were what? Stay here and keep watch. Like, guys, I'm counting on you. Now, they didn't know he was counting on them, but he was counting on them. And he was trying to prepare them. You know, I mean, he was trying because why? He knew what was about to happen and they had no clue. So he comes back there asleep and he says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? He says, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? He, and, and now, this is important. He's, verse 38, he says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. If you've got something going on in your life that you can't overcome, there's your answer. It's not going to be looking for all these other places, these other things. The answer to the problems in your heart and in your life, even when it comes to the areas of temptation, of sin, or, or maybe even uh, attacks of the enemy, there's only one place to get that answer, and that's in the place of prayer. And that doesn't come for the casual prayer. That comes for the person who's going to say, God, I'm going to stay hooked into your presence until I've, get, until I've been changed and until it's all about what you want to do through me and it's not just about what I want. And just about my momentary relief, because many times that's what prayer is. God, I just want relief for a moment. Not God, I want to grow. But yet God expects us to grow. And, but, but, and even the act of prayer is an act of faith. And we've talked about these things, and I don't want to take time to teach on it, because I already have. But just the very act to come to God says, God, I need you. And Jesus here is telling Peter, he's saying, look, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. What's he saying? Peter, temptation is here, but you better pray so that you don't give in to it. But it's here. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, for the spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. In other words, Peter, I know you don't feel like it. Now, Jesus doesn't say this, but this is the way I hear it. Peter, I don't even feel like it right now. I was greatly distressed. I don't want to pray right now, but I know in my spirit that I've got to press through and have the discipline to be a person of prayer in this moment because that's the only place where I'm going to get my answer. It's not coming through any other way. So in verse 39, it says, Jesus left them again, and he prayed the same prayers before. So, not my will, but your will be done. If there's any other way. It says, when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. He says, for they couldn't keep their eyes open and they didn't know what to say. I mean, what do you do if Jesus says, hey, pay attention. Y'all stay awake, pray, comes back, you're asleep. He wakes you up and says, hey, couldn't you at least? I mean, you need to pray. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Grab yourself, wake up. He comes back and what do you say that time? I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what you say to Jesus in that moment. I really don't. I don't know what I would say. That was the second time, sorry. Then it says that when he returned to them a third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. In other words, he's saying, Peter, it's too late to pray. Hey guys, John, James, go ahead and sleep. You've missed your moment here. I mean, think about that. You've missed the moment that you needed more than sleep, but you didn't recognize it. Why? Because that's where the answer was. So Jesus is already telling them, guys, you've already missed it. Like, Peter, I told you to stay awake so that you wouldn't fall into temptation. But, Peter, you're not ready, and it's too late to get ready. I tried to get you ready two hours ago. You're like, oh, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's not, you know, I mean, the Lord stirred in me to pray, but I didn't get to it that day, and it's okay. Maybe there's a reason the Lord stirred in you to pray. Not just to push it off another day or another time or, well, I'll get to it. Maybe there was a reason because there was a temptation that was coming. There was a trial coming that he wanted you to be prepared for. But because you didn't spend that time adequate the way that the Lord was really, uh, that early warning sign system was going off saying, you need to pray, you need to spend time with me, you need to come plug in. Why? Because there's a battle coming and you don't have enough gas in the tank to fight. I mean, that, that's kind of my translation. It's not what the Bible says, but I'm, that's my translation of what's going on. So he says, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. He says, but no, the time has come. Now, I think it's interesting. He says, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. And then Jesus says, there will be no rest. 
resting time that you think you're getting is not what you're going to have. And he says, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. He says, up, let's get going. Look, my betrayer is here. Now, this is interesting because even in this moment, and this is why I want to look at it from a couple other of the Gospels, because we don't really get a very clear picture of what's happened. But Jesus has obviously, something has changed. Because Jesus went from being greatly distressed and overwhelmed and overcome in the moment to now he's like, guys, get up, let's go. So he's changed. Something has happened in this moment. Something has happened while Jesus, while the other guys were uh, sleeping. Jesus was praying. Jesus, something has happened in his heart and in his life. Something has transpired in this moment. Now, in Mark here, we don't get a very clear picture. All we read is that Peter, James, and John slept and Jesus prayed. But yet it says that he was greatly distressed. Over in Luke's account of this, I wanted to read you a couple of these verses of Luke's account. It comes out of Luke 22. I'm going to start in verse 39. And it says, Then accompanied by his disciples, Jesus left the upper room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. This was a normal place where they went. He told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. It says, He walked away about a stone's throw away. And knelt down and prayed. He says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And so he prays. But in Luke here, it gives us some understanding that we don't see in Mark. In verse 43, and it says, an angel of the Lord, or says, then an angel of the Lord appeared and strengthened him. So Jesus has an encounter in this moment in prayer. That if Jesus hadn't prayed, would not have happened. I mean, we saw this with Daniel. Daniel, from the moment you began to pray, the Lord sent me to help you and to bring the answer that you were looking for. From the moment that Jesus began to pray to the Lord, angelic support was on its way. And it says here that an angel from heaven appeared to Jesus. Think, Peter, James, and John missed out on an angelic visitation. They thought they were catching a nap. They missed a supernatural moment. And it says that this angel had appeared and brought strength to him. So one of the things that we can understand from even what we see here in the life of Jesus is that prayer will produce strength in our life. It will produce supernatural aid, supernatural support into our life. Now, not when we pray because we're whining. Not just when we pray because we're venting. You know, you ever have one of those moments where you're like, I just need somebody to vent to. Does anybody else have those moments or just me? I just need to talk for a few minutes. But... That's not necessarily prayer. But what is prayer is when we come to God humbly, which we talked about this Sunday morning about this. And what happened with Jesus here, I believe, will also happen to us when we can press beyond the flesh and beyond what we feel like we want to do into what we need to do, which is our spirit and really walking out those things that the Lord is stirring in us is that power and ability will come. Now, I think it's interesting, after the strength comes in verse 44, it says that Jesus prayed even more fervently. And it says that, and he was in uh, such agony of spirit that he uh, sweat, fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And it says at last he stood up and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. So the disciples aren't just tired. I mean... Think of it like this. Have you ever had somebody in your life that you look at like they're the, you know, they're the rock of your family. They're somebody that you can always turn to and they're always strong. Have you ever been around them when they fall apart? And all of a sudden, what does it do to you? It makes you like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Why? Because they're always the strong one. Well, the disciples are seeing Jesus and all of his humanity becoming overwhelmed with this, uh, with what he says, and exactly what it says here. So he's um, with such agony of spirit. So they're overwhelmed. Jesus was overwhelmed, and they're like, what are we supposed to do? He's Jesus. He has all the answers. And so it's not just that they're exhausted, although that's probably part of it, but they're actually also dealing with grief as well. Verse 46, it says, why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray So that you will not give in to temptation. But see, even in this moment, we see Jesus, uh, even even with this uh, torment of soul, if you will, that he is exchanging it for strength. 
What he did was he brought God his weakness and in exchange for God's strength, which came through an angelic visitation. And he prayed through until he got that strength. He didn't just quit because he, or he didn't, didn't say, well, today's just not a good day. Today's just not a good moment. Sometimes God wants to work in our lives, but we have to be willing and uh, obedient to the leading in our heart. I mean, there's been times that the Lord told me to pray and I just felt not, you know, I just felt that like, man, I should pray. And then I didn't. And the next day I found out why. And because I didn't follow that little prompting, I wasn't ready for the moment. And there have been other times where I knew a moment was coming and I just made just I just determined I'm going to pray so that I'm ready for the moment. I mean, I remember specifically, um, you know, and I won't go into the details of it because it would take too long. But the point of it is this, is that one time I was to have a meeting with Pastor Sam. And uh, it was some things, and we were talking about vision and future of the church and some things. And, and he had asked us to kind of, um, you know, bring some, some thoughts and, you know, to these types of things. And I knew some of the things that the Lord had put in my heart were going to challenge some of the status quo that had been. And I'm a little nervous because I'm like, who am I? Because I know, I mean, I knew the church well. I'd been in it a long time. And I was like, I, I really want him to hear my heart, not just what I have to say. And, you know, and I, uh, you know, I believe this is the Lord. I was so nervous that I spent almost three hours praying the night before. Partly because I was nervous to go sit down with him and say, oh, I'll just give you an example. Like, this is how the conversation started with him the next day. Because in the previous meeting, he had asked, he said, we believe that worship in the word is enough that, you know, that, 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 that you know, as far as the presence of God and all those that comes with that is enough, you know, as far as like the, that that's enough for, for people to grow. And he asked me, he said, do you agree with me? And in the moment, in the first meeting, I said yes. And as soon as I said it, I knew I didn't, that I didn't. And so I had to start the meeting off with this. Pastor, I, before we get into anything else, I want to give you my honest response to a question you asked me last time. You asked me if, if our worship and our word is enough, and, you, and I said yes, and the answer is no. Now, this is his church that he's given 40 years of his life to. I was nervous to have that comment or the conversation that was coming. Like, I was, I mean, why? Because I don't know if there's anybody I respect more than him in ministry. I mean, he, he's like a father to me. Uh, so I had to, but I knew I had to be honest. And he said, and he was like, I kind of expected the worst because, you know, I'm thinking he might get insulted by this. And he says, well, what do you mean? And I said, I believe people need connection one to another. I said, people need community. That just coming to church and leaving isn't enough. Just coming and connecting to God isn't enough. God created us as relational beings. And so we need to be connected one to another. So great worship, great word, great ministry is awesome and it's needed, but it's not everything. I mean, we can't have without it, but it's not everything in and of itself. You know, what, I mean, what happened was, though, because of that, I mean, so that was the first kind of throat swallowing moment that I had that day. I can just tell you, and I've said this many times, I, I'll say it this way, more was accomplished in an hour and an hour and a half that changed the direction of that church, even to this day, it's still changing. And God is blessing and God is moving and God is doing things. Why? Because I didn't just say, well, I've got an opinion that should be heard. I had an understanding that if I'll pray this thing out, it can be heard and then it will be implemented. And I knew that in my heart. And it was the easiest thing. Because there had been other times that I had royally screwed it up. Many times I've shared these before, so I won't go into it. Why? Because I just had an opinion. I thought it should be heard. I didn't give one ounce of prayer to it. Guess what? It never got heard either. Because something happens when we pray. What happens? Our heart gets changed. Our heart comes in line with the heart of God. So even whether it's in a situation where you're dealing with somebody else, or maybe even it's just between you and the Lord, prayer should change us. It doesn't change God. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word ain't changing. He ain't changing. He is the same forever. So who does prayer change? Changes us. We see that prayer changed Jesus in this moment. That because he sought the Lord, he actually began to change. Even the motives of his heart. And I've had this happen before. I've shared some of these before. That I would be frustrated and angry about something. 
And the Lord would say, start praying for that person. I'm like, I ain't praying for them. No way. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You're right, my flesh is weak. No. But what would happen when I would begin to pray for that person, my heart would begin to change. They didn't change a lick, but I changed. God did something in me that was way more valuable and precious and needed in my life than it was for me to go tell them my two cents what I felt or whatever the situation may have been. So prayer will change us just as it does with Jesus here. And we see this, that Jesus says, look, Lord, my will is to not go through with this. My desire, what I want is not to do this. But if it's your will, I'm in. No excuses, not pulling back. And because he had that, strength came and it says that it actually caused him to even pray more fervently. It actually caused him to press into prayer, to, to pray more. See, sometimes what happens is we can pray to the point where we get relief and we think, okay, I'm good. I need to stop. No, you need to keep going. <laughs> you need to keep praying. And just because you get some momentary relief doesn't mean you've reached that place of breakthrough. And sometimes I believe people pray to the point where they get relief and they think, okay, it's over. You need to pray until the Lord releases you. You're like, well, how do you know that? You know it when you know it. I know that's not clear. I wish I could tell you. But there's a release in your heart. Now, I mean, I, I, I can't explain it any better than that. I, I, don't, I don't even have words to, to explain it any better than that. No, Jesus was transformed in this moment, and it only came through the power of prayer. Over in John's account of this, I want to read you a couple things because we see even greater. So you can kind of see the story unfolding even more. So we see in Mark where Jesus prays and something happens, but we're not quite sure what. In Luke, it says that an angel came and ministered to Jesus and brought strength to him so that he could even pray more. In John's uh, account of this same, it's in John chapter 18, starting in verse 3. It says, the leading priest. So right after Jesus says, let's go guys, the time to rest is over. This is now right the very next moment. Jesus stands up and other other, uh, gospels account and say that as he stood up, he saw them coming. So we know this is all in the same moment. This isn't just like, you know, a space in the Bible like, well, at some time later, this... No, these are right on the heels, one of the other. Jesus stands up and prays, or stands up from his prayer and says, let's go. And it says, the leading priests and the Pharisees had given Judas a a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. It says, now with blazing torches and lanterns and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. It says, Jesus fully realizing all that was going to happen to him, or that... That was all that was going to happen to him. It says, so he stepped forward to meet them. Jesus didn't run from trouble. He stepped right into its face. Why? Because he wasn't afraid. Why? We also know from Scripture that Jesus says, look, you can't do anything. You can't take my life and you can't do anything to me that I don't allow you to do. In other words, he was a willing sacrifice. So he willingly steps up and says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And I love how, and in most Bibles it's this way. In verse 5, it's capitalized, I am. It's not like, you know, the lowercase version. It's actually, why? Because what is that echoing? Think back. I am that I am. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. He's saying, I am He. Jesus responds. Judah standing right there. In verse 6. It gives us another picture of something that happens in this moment. It says, as Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They become overwhelmed by the power and presence of God. Where did Jesus get the power and the presence of God from? He didn't have it in the moments prior to. Because if they would have got there when he entered the garden, they would have not experienced that moment. The problem was they came as he's leaving the garden, not as he was coming into the garden. Jesus has been transformed. Not in some superhuman way, but in a supernatural way. In the same way that we can actually be transformed. You can actually go into your prayer closet one way and come out completely different. 
To the point where it will make difference in the, uh, uh, the moments around you. The environment around you. That where the enemy was chasing you, you come out of the closet, all of a sudden you're chasing him. Something has changed. You went in as Clark Kent, you've come out as Superman. Like everybody knows that analogy. Something has happened more than just clothing, but there has been a transformation that has happened in that moment. Then it says that they that the power was so strong that not only did they step back, but it says that they were actually knocked to the ground. Why? Because Jesus was not only just being as a man, but he was actually walking in the power of God on his life. And that's something that we can do when we actually can press through in that place of prayer. Doesn't mean that when you come out of your prayer closet that your kids are just going to fall out in the kitchen. Uh, You know, I mean. But I mean, think about this. What if you had such... um, I I don't don't even know how I want to say this. But what if we were so full of the presence of God that as we walked, people just got convicted? It's happened before. I mean, there's, there's multiple accounts, but one that I know of is that Smith Wigglesworth got on a, pl- on a train one day. Two guys came and knelt in front of him and says, you convict us of our sins. He had never said a word. Why? Because he was full of the presence of God and he was also a clean vessel. He had been with the Lord. Think about Acts chapter 4. These are ignorant, unlearned men, but this much we know, they've been with Jesus. They have some ability. They have some power. What's happened? They have actually pressed through and they've received from the presence of God to the point where it was even visible to those around them. It actually changed the environment that God would work and God would do the miraculous through people who would be people of prayer. And this is exactly what we see happening in the life of Jesus. And the same can be said for us. Something transformative happens when we pray. We exchange our weakness for God's strength. We activate the greater one on the inside of us. And the Bible says that no foe can stand against him. When we actually will pray, and it doesn't mean, hey, you've got to go pray for an hour. I've prayed for an hour and come out just the same. I've also prayed for five minutes and come out totally different. It's not about the length of time. It is about focus. It is about the position of my heart. In other words, am I coming humbly or am I, you know, what, how am I approaching the Lord? Sometimes I have to pray to get my heart where it needs to be so that I can receive my answer. Because my heart's not in the right place when I come into my, my quiet place. Maybe there's chaos in my mind and I've got to get in the place of prayer so that things begin to settle down a little bit in my heart. Because I may come into that place overwhelmed. Sometimes, you know, like if I have to go to my office for whatever reason, I go upstairs. My office is upstairs. I have a room upstairs. So I have an upper room. That's what, I forget what y'all call it. What do you call it? The Holy of Holies or something? And uh, they make jokes like he's ascending. And uh, so I go up there. You know, but there's days where, man, I've got a lot on my mind. And I'm like, I'm not in a place to pray. So I'm going to put on some worship music. I'm going to turn the lights down or off. And I'm just going to sit there for a few minutes. Now, for me, a few minutes might be 30 minutes. Just, why? Because I need time to To unwind a little bit before I approach the Lord. Because I don't want to run in there with a laundry list and say, Lord, I need you to do ABCD. Thank you very much. I'm out of here. I've done my duty and I'm gone. That's not why I'm there. I'm there so that I can be changed. I'm there so that I can exchange whatever is going on in my heart or my mind. So I can exchange it for his strength and his ability. I, I mean... That's why, and and it's not just for a select few people. It's available to all of us. And if we would actually make this the priority of our life and make a priority of prayer, that God, I'm not going to make a decision until I've talked to you. God, I'm going to seek you in every decision that I make. It would actually change our lives. I mean, it's that whole, uh, the, the little phrase that I've been saying, is to pray first. Pray first before you buy something. Or you spend a significant amount of money. You ought to pray. You want to buy a car? Did you pray about it? There's been times I've prayed about buying something. The Lord said no and I bought it anyways. And later on I found out why he told me not to buy it. That's a bad deal. I knew better. Now I'm paying the consequences. There's been times the Lord told me not to buy stuff. 
And then I bought it, and the next day I needed money for something else. I'm like, dadgummit, that's why he told me not to buy this. You know, and there's moments like that. But yet when, when I will make the priority of prayer, and this is what happens, the more that I keep in that communion with him, the, the easier it is for me to hear from him too. It's when I have broken relationship for any amount of time. Now for some of us, who knows? That might be not talking to the Lord for the day. For some of us, it might not be talking to the Lord for months. Depends on where you're at. Depends on your, where you've been with the Lord. It's different for every one of us. No two of us are alike. But yet when I would make it a priority to pray, my sensitivity and my spirit is more heightened to his voice. I mean, it's one of the reasons I believe that we pray in the spirit. Why? Because it clears up the noise, the static of, of life. And it clears up the voice of God. So even as we would pray, we begin to activate our faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Many times when I pray, even when I'm praying in the spirit, the Lord will, will give me verses, will begin to rise up in my heart. They'll just begin to rise. And, and, the, and what does that happen? When, when, the, when the word comes, what is it? That spiritual bread. It gives me strength. Think about manna. The Lord fed them with manna and their shoes didn't wear out and everything. All these supernatural things were going on because they were eating the physical manna. Well, the same thing can be true for us. That even as we pray, God would begin to give us scriptures and, and to begin to stir things up in our heart that would actually spiritually nourish us beyond the point of what anything else will do. Why? Because uh, the resource, you could say it this way, is that when we pray, the resources of heaven come. When Jesus prayed and asked the Lord to work, an angel brought what? Uh, provision from heaven for his need. In this moment, Jesus didn't need a breakthrough. What he needed was strength. Why? Because he had to do what was before him. He didn't need healing in that moment. He needed strength. When we pray, the Lord will bring us what we need. Now, Ephesians chapter 3, verse uh, 16. This is part of the, one of the Pauline prayers, what we call the Ephesians prayers. But I just want to read you one verse out of it. It says, um, I pray that from God's glorious and unlimited resources, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Every time that we pray, what we're doing is we're looking to the Lord saying, God, I need you. And I need strength to rise from within me in this moment. And it's going to come through the spirit, but it comes through my spirit, man. It doesn't come through my head. It doesn't come through my emotions. It, no, it comes through my spirit. That's where that life comes. And when I can pray and seek the Lord, that's where that strength from the Lord will always rise. And just as he says here, he, and I love how he says that from God's glorious, his glorious and unlimited resources, he will empower you. It will rise up from within you. Colossians chapter 1 Verse 11, I want to read this out of the Amplified Bible. And it says, it's similar, but he says, We pray that you would be strengthened and invigorated with all power, according to his glorious might, to attain every kind of endurance and patience with joy. See, when we pray, something supernatural begins to happen. It's not just that we're reciting words or just saying promises or doing these things. What we are doing is saying, God, I need you in this moment, not just to work in my situation or my circumstances or to change things. I need you to work in me and I need you to give uh, me the ability and strength that's beyond me so that I can do what you're asking me and calling me to do. Similarly to what Jesus did. Why? Because it, for you to do everything that God wants you to do, for, for me to do everything God wants me to do, it's going to require a dependence upon the Lord. God will never ask me to do something that I can do. Not in that way. He's going to ask me to do something that I've got to rely on Him for. I mean, I've said this many times, and I don't know how many people truly believe it. Every time I preach, it's a reminder I can't do this. I'm keenly aware of that fact. But that's actually a good place to be. That's not a bad place to be. Because I don't stand here because I know something. I've spent time with the Lord. And that's why I can stand up and say what I say. Because why? I, I believe that the Lord has spoken. And the Lord has given me direction. But... You know, I mean, it's like a preacher's worst nightmare. I'm going to let you in a little secret. As soon as this service is over, guess where my mind goes? Sunday's coming. 
I mean, I'm talking about like at 8.15, 8.30. I already have an idea of, you know, somewhat directive about Sunday morning. But I'm preaching twice tomorrow night too. And guess what? Every time that you get up to talk to somebody, guess what? You better have something to say. And it better not just be words. There's an expectation that, man, you spent time with the Lord. And that's a good thing. I'm not, it's not, it's not a burden. I'm glad. I mean, I, I, I love what I do. But I can't imagine trying to do this without praying. I wouldn't want to. It'd be so overwhelming. I mean, it's overwhelming with the Lord sometimes. And I'm just like, Lord, you got to help me. <laughs> well, it's not any different for you. You may not stand in front of a group of people and, and preach the word, teach or whatever you want to call it. You may not minister to people and say, but what about the people you go to work with? What about your family? What about the people who you're with? That God would bring in front of you and bring around you so that what? So that you can be a conduit for him to flow out of. If the tank's low, you've got nothing to offer. That's true for any of us. I, mean, I remember, uh, this was even before I'd ever gone. Uh, it was really when I first kind of said yes to, to the call to go into the ministry. I remember I, I went and talked to a man who was a seasoned minister. He'd, I mean, he'd been at it 30-something years, just a man that I sort of vaguely knew, but not very well. And this was his advice to me. And it's still, and I think I've probably mentioned this before. But this was his, you know, sage advice. He was probably my age. He was actually probably older than me. But back then he was old, you know. And... Uh, But this was the wisdom that he gave me. He says, never minister out of your undertow. Always minister from an overflow. What's he saying? Never minister on low. Always make sure that you're overflowing. Spend time. I mean, let me say it this way. It may help you. It may not. I would rather spend more time in prayer than I would in study. Now, I need to study. Don't get me wrong. But if I have to choose... I'm going to make sure I've prayed enough more than I've studied enough. Why? Because I'm not dependent on my own study or my own knowledge. But I believe that when I pray, God will work way beyond what I can do in and of myself. And I've seen that to be true. Now, the Bible says you need to show yourself a workman. You don't need to be ashamed. You need to know what you're talking about. I mean, you know, there's an element of that. But there's not two standards. Well, there's the spiritual people and then there's normal people. We're spiritual people, all of us. We are called and and the Bible says that our spirits have been made alive unto God. So there's not this standard for me because of my calling. No, it's our calling as believers. And just like I have to pray and ask the Lord to help me, you need to ask the Lord to help you. Why? Because none of us can be who God wants us to be in and of ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Even just as Jesus showed us, even in his greatest moment of need, God didn't say, I'll get back to you later. An angel was there to minister the very thing he needed in that moment. And the same will be true for you. The same is true for me. But it requires this, to push through. To not give into the flesh. To press through. I mean, sometimes that might mean you've got to get up early. Got to make that sacrifice. I mean, two, two Sunday mornings ago, I got up about an hour and a half earlier than normal. Why? Because I wanted to know that I'd heard from the Lord. Now, I felt like I'd heard from the Lord the night before, but I wanted to double check it. It's a sacrifice. But, I mean, even since then, I'm, I'm even more convinced now that it was the Lord than I was when he spoke it the next morning, the day of, the day after. But that didn't come just because somebody has said something. No, it's that conviction in my heart, man, that I, I know that the Lord spoke. And it didn't matter if nobody came up here. I still knew what the Lord had said. Because I'm not moved whether there was wall-to-wall people or if there was one person. If one person came, God would speak for one. Not about that anyways. So there may be times that you may have to stay up late. There's been times I've stayed up later. Because I'm like, I ain't getting up in the morning. I know it. Earlier than normal. 
So I may pray longer, spend time at night. If you're a night person like me, I usually pray at night. Typically, that's more my routine because I'm more awake. You know, it takes me a little while in the morning, but I can make it happen. If I take a shower, I can wake up a little faster, but, but I, I usually pray at night. That's what works for me. It may not work for you, but you've got to find what works for you. And if the Lord, I mean, you know, I mean, we ought to seek the Lord regularly, but I believe the Lord will also stir in you that there are times and seasons that, hey, you need to be prepared. There's a trial. There's a temptation. There's something up ahead that if you'll pray, you'll be ready for. It's like what I said a minute ago, is that you may go running into your prayer closet, slamming the door, hoping the enemy will not find you. But you're going to come out looking for him. And he's going to be running. Because you're not going to be the same person that walked in that, in that place. Why? Because you've actually encountered the presence of God. You've connected with the Holy Spirit. And now there's strength and there's power on the inside of you that you didn't have a few minutes before. And if you'll make that a priority to say, Lord, am I, you know, even ask this question. Lord, am I spending enough time in prayer? Like, well, what would I say? Start praying in the Holy Spirit. It never hurts. I mean, it definitely can't hurt. I spend, I would say, a vast majority of my time praying in the Spirit. A lot more than I do in English. Now, Lord will prompt things in my heart, to, and I'll pray in English, and I'll declare the Word, and I'll do those types of things. But, man, I spend a lot of time praying in the Spirit. Why? Because sometimes I just don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I'll begin to pray in the Spirit. Why? Because that's the Holy Spirit praying the divine purposes and plans of God. Like, well, how do you know you're not just babbling? Because something happened in my heart. That's how I know. Because I, I mean, I, I can sense the Lord moving. And so I just want to encourage you, uh, you know, with this tonight, uh, is just as it was with Jesus, it will happen with us. If we'll make uh, prayer a priority and we'll push through the flesh, push through the resistance, push through those things that would try to distract us and say, well, they're not as important as this. And we'll press through that we'll get the very answers that we're looking for. We'll get those things that we're believing God for, those breakthroughs that we're looking for, those things that we're uh, seeking the Lord to do. But what's most important is not the answer to our prayer. It's what God does in us. You know, one of my classes in Bible school, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. There's this quote, and I've probably said it before, but I love it. And uh, it challenges me every time I say it. And I do believe it. And uh, I actually here not too long ago, I told Dara where I got it from. She said, I, all these years, I thought you've been saying that. I said, I have been. I just heard it from them. And, uh, you know, and so, um, but it, it says, and the statement goes like this, is that God wants to do something great uh, through you, but he first needs to do something great in you. And that's true. If you want God to use you, then let God do something great in you. Because if, you know, I mean, you can't give somebody what you don't have. They said in another, in You'll understand, the, but you can't sell something you don't believe in. The worst salesperson is somebody who does not believe in what they're selling. What do you think about this car? It's a piece of junk. Then why would I buy it? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, that's a bad salesperson. They're not going to be very good. They're not going to have a job very long. You've got to believe in what, you, in what you're talking about. Well, if you want God to use you, if you want God to do something great through you, he's got to do it in you first. And many times that comes from that place of prayer and that priority of prayer. And just putting yourself in that place to say, God, I'm not leaving until I, can, until I get what I came here for. But when you do that, you'll also see dynamic things happen. You'll see the hand of God work for you. And you're going to say, man, that prayer stuff, that works. That's not just hooky, spooky, weird stuff for spiritual people. Like, I prayed and God worked. And that's pretty awesome. And what God did was quick and easy. And man, it was so much, you know, I could have never done that. I could have never figured out how God would have worked that. But man, he did it so quick. But it's for making prayer a priority. Amen.